Amen. Well, someone did notice when they came in this morning that my computer was not set up. And so, you know, somebody like Sinclair Ferguson is not going to teach this class this morning. Uh, you are stuck with me. And so uh, I hope I can be beneficial and profitable to you in, in this Sunday School hour as well. For this morning, I want to begin a new series of Sunday School lessons for at least the time being. Um, it's according to how my schedule goes as to whether or not they will remain Sunday School lessons or be moved into the afternoon service uh, with Sinclair or RC or somebody like that teaching in the Sunday School hour. We'll see. But I want to begin a new series dealing with the topic that we haven't dealt with in quite some time, but one that I think is very important for us as a church, especially in light of our present situation. And that topic is church officers, biblical church officers. It has been some time since I addressed this topic. I did many, many years ago. Uh, how many, I don't even remember. I think it was back before we recorded everything, so I can't even look back to uh, a time when we did look at these things. But I believe it is important for us as a church as we move forward to consider together the whole topic of biblical church officers. As um, no doubt you are quite aware of the fact that I am growing older and, and more and more I, I feel that with regard to even my physical well-being. And so being the sole elder of this place, it is a concern that we ought to have as a church with regard to leadership and church officers uh, uh, for us as a church, for our, our well-being. Uh, Pastor Martin, who I have relied heavily upon with regard to this study, pulled out old notes uh, that I made many years ago listening to him speak on this topic. Um, he said, a church can have a being without church officers, but for the well-being of the church, you need church officers, and you need both a plurality of elders and a plurality of deacons. Now, I do not want anyone, and I've been asked this question as to what, does that mean you're leaving? Does that, what does that mean? Well, I've told people that as long as you as the people of God uh, appoint me to be your elder, I pray that I will stick around um, and, and, and serve in that capacity. But, you know, can I continue to serve to the degree that I've always served and taken care of of a multitude of things, and do I need to slow down? And is my wife concerned about my health at times? Yes. And so in light of all those things, I, I want to press upon us our need to pray that God would raise up or, or bring in um, more church officers. And if he does, what does that look like for us? And, and who are they to be? And what is their function? And that sort of thing, uh, to come to understand that. I will, I will tell you that as church officers, that is, my deacons along with myself, we, we have discussed uh, the possibility of bringing someone in as an intern to work alongside me and um, 
to have various responsibilities and, and then see where that leads. So we're in the process of doing that. I think it's going to be one of the, though it's not settled yet, one of the earmarks in our upcoming budget will be for an intern. It's not that he's going to be able, at least not right now, to labor full-time or be an intern full-time, but we hope to provide him with some type of stipend so that he can maybe not work outside the church as much, but, but still provide and care for his family. So as that comes into being, uh, I'll give you more information and perhaps have more things to lay before you, especially concerning that topic at our annual meeting, which will probably take place sometime in February. So over the next several weeks, and I can't tell you at this point how many weeks, this week I was able to do an introductory lesson, and I hope to get through that this morning. But over the next several weeks, we'll be considering that of biblical church officers. And who should the church recognize? And what is their nature and their function within the church. So this morning I want to just begin with some preliminary points or introductory remarks with regard to this topic. And there are three things in particular that I hope to cover concerning uh, introductory or preliminary points. First of all, the importance of this topic. Why is this an important topic? And secondly, the directive in thinking through this topic together and then hopefully going from there to the subject of our topic. What are we dealing with when we're talking about God-appointed office bearers in the church? So that's where I'm hoping to go this morning. We'll see if we get there. So first of all, by way of preliminary points, the importance of this topic the importance of this topic. When it comes to this topic of the church, there perhaps is no issue as important as this topic in the life of the church. The Word of God makes it very clear that when it comes to blessing or cursing, this topic of leadership in the church is vitally important. In the Word of God, both in the Old and the New Testament, the great key to God's blessing or God's cursing was the leadership. When Israel came to a low season in their life concerning their fellowship with God, what would God do? Again and again, he would go after their leaders. Jesus himself has something to say about unbiblical, ungodly leadership. Look over, take your Bibles and turn to, to Matthew 23. Matthew chapter 23. And here Jesus sees the, the very sad condition of Judaism in his day. And when he looks at that and considers that, he addresses the leadership, the scribes and the Pharisees. 
And, and he pronounces judgment upon them. Notice what he says, just a sampling, verse 3. Let's start verse 2. The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you to you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. He's saying here, God has put these men upon places of leadership and, and as they direct you according to God's word, you need to do it. But here's the problem. They themselves are saying to you, do these things, but they're not doing them themselves. They are blind guides. Look down further. Look at verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. They, they brought some newfangled ideas with regard to how God is to be worshipped and addressed. He goes on in, in, in verse 17. He says, you fools and blind men. These were leaders in the church. <coughs> and here's Jesus Christ himself referring to them as fools. And blind men. As you read down through this, and this morning I was just reviewing it again, and just notice the number of time, times that God refers to the leaders in the church as blind men or as hypocrites. Hypocrites. You see it over and over again. Verse 23, verse 24, verse 25, verse 29. He refers to the leadership with, with these words. He pronounces judgment upon them. And then, when you come to the epistles, again and again we find the writers often seeking to secure in the local church competent men to be spiritual leaders in that church. That's what they wanted to see. Look over, for example, to Titus. Titus chapter 1. The Apostle Paul tells Titus why he's going to leave him at Crete. And he says to him, verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set up in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Apparently, there were various churches there in Crete, but they needed leadership. And Paul has assigned Titus to that responsibility of seeing that elders are appointed in every city. <coughs> so they long to see competent, qualified men in places of leadership within the church. And of course, then you go on, you're familiar with this portion. He then goes on and talks about the qualifications of an overseer. The overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed and so forth and so on. And we'll get into those uh, later on in this study. So this topic that we're considering together is, is an absolutely um, 
important topic for us as a church. If we want God's smile and blessing upon our labors and our work, then we've got to seriously consider and pray through these things. We ought not just to sit back and say, well, you know, somebody will rise up and be a leader. Somebody will do something. No, we've got to consider these things seriously and pray through them that we might know God's blessing. So that's what I wanted to say with regard to the importance of this topic. Secondly, the directives. What is it that ought to direct us (coughs) as we consider this topic together. What is it? Well, some would say pragmatism. Whatever works. Whatever works. I mean, as long as there's, as things are running smoothly and we have certain men who are sort of giving oversight to those things, and, and, and maybe they don't quite meet the qualifications, but you know, if it's, if it's working, or, or the old saying, you know, if it isn't broken, don't fix it. And so the idea of pragmatism is what some believe ought to direct us. It, it's common practice in our day with regard to church government and who God appoints to be leaders in the church. Some might say our directive ought to be expedience. What's easy, what's convenient, ought to direct us with regard to church government. So, you know, it may sound something like this. If you take these qualifications seriously... You're you're never going to have church leaders. So you're going to have to bend a little bit. You're going to have to compromise some things. I mean, here's a guy who who can stand up and and say some things and speak well, and we ought to make him an elder, though though he doesn't match up the other qualifications. But, but you know, it's just so much easier. Let's just make him in. Or, Or here's a guy that's got a great personality, Really friendly guy. He's winsome when he's around other people. But you know, his home life, yeah, it's not what it ought to be. But you know, he would still be a wonderful elder. Or here's a guy that's got money. How you know that, I don't know. But but, but this is a guy that's got money. And any man that has money ought to... Who better to put in as a deacon? Isn't that one of the qualifications that a deacon needs to make an average income of over $100,000? No. No. But wouldn't it be easier to have, you know, here's a guy who's a banker in the area. He's a banker. Shouldn't we make him a deacon? Who better to take care of our finances? So some think pragmatism, others think expediency. But when it comes to this topic, as well as any other topic concerning the church of Jesus Christ, there is only one directive. And that's the Word of God. The very Word of God is to be our directive. Why? Well, let me give you some reasons. 
Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And here Paul is addressing those who were privileged in, in ministering, in building of the church of Corinth. And he says to us there in verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. The, the believers were looked upon as, as God's building. And the leadership within the church are looked upon as fellow laborers, fellow builders with God. Right? So he makes that analogy. Then we read on, verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds upon it. So Paul says, I came along and I've begun this building and I've laid a foundation and other men will come along who will build. Well, Cliff, will you go back there and get me one of those little things of water? Other men will come along and and they will build upon it as well. But here's his exhortation. Each man must be careful how he builds upon it. Why? Well, let's look down here. Verse 13. Thank you. Verse 13. Each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality, not the quantity. The fire will test the quality of each man's work. This is why we cannot take this matter lightly and believe we can go about it any way we choose. This is why we can't have an attitude if it's easy and convenient or if it works, it's okay. It's because we are building the church of Christ. And to build correctly, we must use what? His blueprint. We must go according to His specs. Because one day, He will inspect it. And as He inspects it, it's not quantity that He will judge, but quality. I've... You know, you know my story. When I was growing up, I had a stepfather who was, uh, um, he did everything. And I can remember in our living room, we had one of these big draft tables. And he would sit there with rulers and all kinds of things, and, and he would make blueprints of a house. And then the next thing I know, we had this big empty lot, 
not too far from our house, and we started building. And he would bring the blueprints out. And, and that would give him some direction. And, and anything we, we contracted out, the builders didn't come along and say, well, you know, I mean, he's got this big picture window here. But I think, you know what I think? I think a bay window would look so much nicer. And, and I notice he only has two bathrooms. I think a house like this, we could put another... No, they didn't have the right to come along and say, well, you know what? I think it would be better if we do this. Because they were not the ones who were in charge, who, who were the administrators of building that house. And yet, that's often how we think when it comes to building the church of Jesus Christ. God's Word is our blueprint. And sometimes we might think we have a better idea. We might think it would just be easier if we take out this bathroom or, or take out this sliding door and put in a bay window or, or, or put in an extra closet. But that will not meet the Master's approval. And we may say, but it looks good. Or we may say, but it's working. Look at the number of people we're bringing in. And God says, I'm going to test your work by fire. I'm going to be the inspector. And there's coming a day when, when Christ will examine what we've done and whether or not it's been according to the directions of His Word or according to His blueprint that we have labored. And if it's not according to His blueprint, even though you may have a packed church, your building will be in vain. And God will not approve. So why is it important that the Word of God dictates what we do with regard to church officers because this is His church. And we must follow His design and plan and not our own. Otherwise, our work is in vain. Look at another passage. Second, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. And as he writes to Timothy, he's giving him some instruction, some direction concerning the church. Timothy could not declare that, that he was ignorant concerning how to conduct the matters of the church. Why could Timothy not do that? Well, again, look at verses 13 and 14. 1 Timothy 3, 13 and 14. He says, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so you will know how you ought to conduct himself in the household of God, 
which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. Paul's saying, I'm going to give you clear directives with regard to how the church ought to conduct themselves. You will know, notice that, you will know how you ought to conduct himself in the church. And anyone who would claim that there's no directives in the scriptures concerning church life is either very ignorant or clearly disobedient. God directs us in his word what we ought to be as a church. We are not ignorant of these things. And do you have a better idea? Well, you might think so. But that doesn't impress God. It's His church. He is the Lord over it. He's the Master. And He will tell us how we're to conduct ourselves. And then one other passage. Look over to John 14. John 14. Notice what our Lord Himself says. John 14 and verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. What greater desire should we have as a church than to know of God's presence among us by the work of His Spirit. Is that your desire? I mean, I don't know how many of you thought about it this morning when you come walking in and think, you know, I'm going to church Sunday morning, going to church. How many of us thought, you know what? I mean, I know there will be certain people there. I look forward to seeing them. and I look forward to hearing Lisa tell stories and give pictures of that little Levi and, and, and see why everybody did over the holidays. But how many of us thought about, boy, there is a special presence of Christ among His people as we gather together? Or how many times have we walked out of here and never gave any thought to the fact that Christ, by the work of His Spirit, has come and met with us in unusual ways? you ever give thought to that? And here Christ says, listen, as you obey my commandments, He says here, you show that you love me, and He who loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love Him, and I will disclose myself to Him. Is that, is that your... Lord, I, I want to know of Your presence. I want to have a sense of you. That, that ought to encourage us every day. This week I've been reading through Joshua chapter 1. Joshua, Moses is now dead. Joshua is taken over. What are we, can you imagine taking over for Moses? How terrifying would that be? 
I imagine most of us would say, no, 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 I, I, I'm not, I'm not, no, no, I can't do that. But what was the encouragement that God gave to Joshua over and over again? I will be with you. And oftentimes when we think about wanting to know of God's presence with us, of having the sense of the Spirit of God working within us and, and doing marvelous things through us for His glory and honor. We think of things like, well, you know, we got to pursue after holiness. It's, it's as we pursue after holiness that we'll know more of that. Or, or, or as we seek to be a witness and give out the gospel. All these things are important. But wouldn't it be wonderful if in the midst of our gathering together as a community of believers and taking seriously the appointment of church officers that God would come and bless us and make His presence known among us as we take this matter seriously and seek to obey His directives in doing so. I say, I get excited about that. And some of you look at me like, you had too much coffee this morning, and I haven't had any coffee this morning. All right? But isn't that our desire? So as we follow His directives, as Acts 5 and verse 32 says, the Holy Spirit who God has given to those who obey Him. Who obey Him. And so you as a community of believers have been given the authority to recognize and appoint those who would serve as office bearers in this place. It is, it is not the doings of an elder to appoint such men. It is your responsibility as a church to consider seriously the function of, of church officers, the qualification of church officers, who those men ought to be. And that's why you should take this responsibility seriously. Seriously. And, and perhaps I haven't done a very good job in, in, in reminding you of that over the years. And, and perhaps... You know, well, we have a pastor. What more do we need? Well, we need a plurality of pastors. That's what we need. And we need to pray that God would give us those things. So we've considered, by way of a preliminary points, we've considered the importance of the topic, the directives of the topic, and then finally, I want you to consider with me the subject of the topic. The subject. We are going primarily to deal with God's appointed office bearers in the church. An office bearer is not a person, it is a position. A position of authority and trust. We, we are not looking for personality, but we're looking for position. I mean, when we speak about the office of the President of the United States, we're not, we're not necessarily speaking about one individual, whether it be a Trump or a Biden or a Bush or a Clinton. When we talk about the office of the president, we are speaking about a position of authority and trust, which at different times, different individuals may take on. 
So an office bearer is not an individual. It is a position which individuals will fill. And in so doing, be given certain authority within the church. So we're looking for that position. And in that, men that will fill it. John Brown says this. The Christian church is a very free society, but they mistake the matter as they consider it a democracy. It is a monarchy administered by inferior magistrates chosen by their fellow subject to execute the king's law, being guided solely by his word and neither by their own judgment or will, nor by the opinion or will of those who may govern. So he says the church is a monarchy. There is one who's head over the church. It's not the Pope. It's Jesus Christ. He's the head of the church. And he uses what John Brown calls inferior magistrates who are chosen by their fellow subject to execute the king's law. And as they seek to execute that law, they're not to do it with their own opinions and with their own desires and with their own wills. They are to lead by the authority of God's Word. Of God's Word. And so John Brown goes on to say, Christ is the Lord... And he administers his government by officers appointed according to his ordinance and regulated by his law. It is of great importance both to the office bearer and to the private member of a Christian church that they have distinct scriptural views on this. That the former, that is the office bearer, may not exact what they have no right to, and that the latter, the member of the church, may not refuse what by the law of Christ they are bound to give. So the office bearer must be careful that he doesn't go outside the boundaries of his responsibilities in in seeking to execute the laws of God. He must be careful that he, he doesn't use his position as a, as a bully pulpit, that, that he batters his sheep unbiblically. Nor should the members of the church ignore, disobey the authority given by Christ to those who are to lead in the church. We must take these issues seriously. So that's the topic. Church officers. We've seen the importance, we've seen the directives, and we've seen the subject itself. Now, I have a couple more minutes, but before I move on, is there any comments or questions that I can't answer that you might have? We elect a monarch democratically. He says we're not a, well. He doesn't say democratically, but he does say he's chosen by the people. 
Yeah, it is a monarch administered by inferior magistrates. They are chosen by their fellow subjects to execute the king's law being guided solely. Right. Right. Okay. I'll make a note of that and, and see if we can get to there. All right. So your question was um, the churches. I would go off on that topic and maybe a little bit, but I'm afraid I'd get in trouble because I haven't really considered it in great degree. So I, I will seek to answer that. Yeah, I think, well, <laughs> you're going to get me off there. Okay, thank you. I'll, I'll just take that and I'll just leave it there. So, all right, anything else? All right, well, just let me take a few minutes then to consider with you um, what I would consider the heart of this topic. What are the offices assigned by the Word of God? If someone were to ask you, what are the offices in the church, how would you answer? I mean, you realize there are various understandings. I mean, some, some have popes, and some have bishops along with elders, some have district superintendents that have some authority in the church as to what goes on. So what, what are the offices recognized in the Bible for the church? Now to answer that question quickly, you took to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Uh. Notice with me verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to the saints in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here, Paul, writing this letter to the church at Philippi, says to them that he sends greetings and to all the saints, that is, all the holy ones, we're all on the same footing with regard to that. But then he includes these overseers, or some of yours may say bishops, right? It's the same terminology, overseer, bishop, or deacons, right? So to answer the question, what are the church officers, there are two. There are overseers, bishops, and there are deacons, right? And the overseer or bishop is 
a term that is interchangeable with the term elder. The terms are interchangeable. Look over at Acts chapter 20. We'll see this. Acts chapter 20. Paul's giving his farewell address uh, to the elders there at Ephesus, verse 17. Now notice he says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. So he's calling together the elders and his remarks are directed toward the elders. But as he brings to a climax... This address, we notice in verse 18 these words. Again, who is he speaking to? If I ask you that, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the overseers, or, or the elders there at Ephesus. Verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves, for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So here in verse 28, addressing the elders, he calls them overseers. So he has the same people in mind, those who were elders, he now calls overseers or bishops. The elders refer to the overseers or the bishop. And that's the same word, this overseer bishop is the same word that's used back in Philippians chapter 1. So he he calls for the elders in verse 17, and in verse 28, the Holy Ghost has made them bishops or overseers. We could look at Titus chapter 1, we won't take the time to do so, but Titus chapter 1, bishop is used interchangeably with overseers. So a bishop, an overseer, an elder, uh, a pastor, which is the same terminology as shepherd, is all referring to the one office. So if you have someone comes along and says, well, in our church we have bishops and we have elders. As though they're two distinct offices. Well, you've got a little problem there. Because they're interchangeably. The elders were referred to as overseers, bishops, the same office. Deacons, the deacon, it means a servant, a servant. And how do we know that a deacon isn't isn't just a ministry in the church? He's a servant in the church? Well, we know that because 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives very simple, distinct qualifications of men who are to be recognized for that office. So you have elders and you have deacons. You have them both. And my time is up. So I'll stop. I'll try to be a good example and not go over. So next week, uh, I hope to begin dealing with what are the functions of the two offices in the church. So you can begin thinking about that. What's the function? I'll give you this assignment. If, If you were... To give one word concerning the function 
of an elder in the church, what would that word be? What's his function? All right. Consider that as we begin to open that up, God willing, next week. All right. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us to take seriously these things. Father, we would ask that you would be pleased to bless even in, in the efforts of seeing men recognized and appointed as elders and deacons in this place. Would you guide us? Would you bring in such men? And may you help us to pray and consider these things seriously. Meet with us now in the hour that will follow. Draw near to us as we gather with your people to worship you as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.